So today we're going to continue in our series, The Promise. And we've been looking at Old Testament passages that write history in advance and that are fulfilled in the New Covenant, in the New, in the New Testament. And uh, so today we're going to be looking at some things specifically about Christmas. And here's my hope for you. I want you to fall in love with your Bible. In fact, if you brought your Bible today, take it out, take notes. I mean, it's this amazing thing. I love to hear, I love to hear rustling pages as, they, as people look up verses of Scripture. But I'm going to tell you, we have this amazing book that, that writes history in advance. And I want you to fall in love with that book because it is so powerful. If it writes history in advance, it has something to say to you every day as you open the Bible and let God speak to you. So I, that's one of my purposes today, and I want you to fall in love with Jesus today. So those are my two purposes as we, as we spend some time together. So I want to share three specific promises that come out of the Old Testament that pertain primarily to the Christmas season. And before I get there, I, I want to just have you understand how special it is that God writes history in advance. That is not normal, right? I mean... We, from the history of the world, people have made a lot of predictions. I mean, we've, we read them all the time. People make predictions that most of them don't come to pass. So I want to share a couple of those with you just to show you how special and how blessed we are to have the Bible in our possession and how we are blessed by having history written in advance. So let me just share a couple of, of things that, uh, that didn't come to pass. For example, Julius Frontunus in 100 AD, that's 100 years after Jesus lived, said inventions have long reached their limit and i see no hope for further development <laughs> inventions are they're just of the past we're not going to you know technology is gone that's what he was saying we've seen everything we're going to see in the in in the world today junius henry brown 1893 said he was speaking of law, to lawyers and speaking about law and he says law will be simplified over the next century fees will go down that was written in 1893 <laughs> So all the lawyers in the room, take, lower your fees. If you want to make this prophecy come true, just lower your fees. <laughs> then John von Neumann, 1949, said, we have reached the limits of what is possible to achieve with computer technology. That was written in 1949. And uh, so that didn't work out well for him as he predicted that. And then one of my favorite ones, the Secretary of State, Foster Duels, 1954, said this, this is so this is so absurd he says the japanese don't have anything the people of the u.s would want <laughs> so what I, I i say all those things to you to say people have just gotten it wrong right they've just gotten they, when they predict the future they, they get it wrong but the bible comes along and gives us precise precise wording so that you and i can't miss it we just can't miss that this is a fulfilled prophecy. And so we're going to talk about these fulfilled prophecies around Christmas time. So the first one that I want you to notice with me is the, it comes out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah foreshadowed the virgin birth. So let me show you that from the Bible. Isaiah 7.14 says, this was written around 701 to 681 BC. So a long time ago, long time before Christ. And this is what it says. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call, his, call him Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. So the virgin birth was foreshadowed by the book of Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet said, there's going to be somebody in the future that has a virgin birth. So that was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. So let me give you a context for what happens in the gospel of Matthew. So Mary finds herself impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Virgin birth. Miraculous thing, right? I mean, this doesn't happen. Anybody here have that happen to you? sure that didn't happen to you so miraculous thing but here's the thing it created a little conflict between her and Joseph can you imagine oh by the way I'm pregnant and Joseph is thinking uh we've been faithful here we haven't done you haven't done anything wrong here and you're pregnant and where who's the father so to write that circumstance God appears to Joseph in the form of an angel and this is what he says to Joseph he says in by the way for those of you who don't know who Joseph is he was Mary's you know to be husband so Matthew 1 look the virgin will conceive a child he's quoting directly out of Isaiah the virgin will conceive a child she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us precisely what happened foreshadowed by Isaiah fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 verse number 23 so, and by the way, I'm just picking out three. There are hundreds of verses that pertain to Christ and his, and his, and his first coming. I'm just picking out three. So Micah gave the location of his birth. Now think about this. He gave the exact location of the birth of Jesus written around 750 to 686 BC. And this is what Micah says, but you, O Bethlehem, are you only a small village among the people of Judah? You are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel uh, whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. So Micah says there's a king coming. He's a ruler, and he's coming to Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Very specific promise, right? I mean, there's not very many places called Bethlehem. A couple here in the United States, but, but very few in that time. This was fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. And this is what it says. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem. Jesus wasn't raised in Bethlehem. But because of this circumstance, he was a descendant of King David. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. So she, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, out of, the, out of the norm in Bethlehem and this was so specific why Bethlehem why did Micah say that because God is showing us that he is, he is precise he is the God of precision and then there is Zechariah Zechariah is one of my favorite prophets he says a lot of really hard things but this is what he says in chapter 9 verse 9 he says rejoice O people of Zion shout in triumph O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble and riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So Zechariah said that the entrance of this ancient king, this entrance into the city of Jerusalem is going to be on the foal of a donkey, the offspring of a donkey. 
exactly what happened. And so let's see the fulfillment of that. Uh, that was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21, verse number one. It says, Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the town of uh, Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into a village over there, he said. As soon as you enter in it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And as you know the story, most of you know the story, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on this donkey. And, you know, there's, you know, there's this amazing celebration. And a few days later, they crucify him. But I want you to notice the precision, precision again of the scripture that he would, be, it was foretold that he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a on, on a donkey and many people misunderstand that they think that was an act of humility and it was an act of humility but it was also an act of royalty that's how kings entered cities is on the donkeys and so this was a specific fulfillment of a precise writ, uh, writing in the old testament so when you think about that when you think about the probability of just three of those things happening uh i want to kind of set the context for that and then in a few minutes, we'll do this amazing thing called communion. I want to set the context of how marvelous and how joyous and how in love you should be with your Savior who writes history in advance because it is an unusual thing. So I want to give you a little history. World War II, there was a guy by the name of David Greenglass. Anybody heard of him? I don't think anybody would ever heard of him because he was a World War II traitor. And what he did is he sold nuclear secrets to the Soviet Union. So he wasn't very popular here in the United States. In fact, you know, probably the CIA was trying to, trying to take him out. So they wanted to, the Soviets wanted to bring him in. So they arranged a meeting. This is a true story. They arranged a meeting in Mexico City. And in Mexico City, they had six signs. That was five, six signs. And six signs I'm old, okay? I, I still have to count on my fingers. Six signs of how to identify David Greenglass to make sure that they had the right guy. Six signs. He had to go here. He had to go there. He had to say this. He had to say this secret handshake. I mean, it was six signs, and they had designed it. The Soviets had designed it so it was statistically impossible for them to make a mistake because they didn't want to bring the wrong guy in. So they did this. He was brought into the, to the, to the Soviet Union, and, uh, and when you think about these six of pre-range signs, uh, statistically impossible. Now, think about that. Don't get lost in the weeds there, but just think about that. Now think about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth had 456 identifiable, identifiable signs of who he was. Think about that. Jesus of Nazareth had 456 identifiable signs of who he was, identifying signs that would identify his character, his works, his reputation, all of them fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. Now, if six signs were statistically impossible, what would be 456 be? I mean, think about that. So God wants us to make sure that we understand that this Jesus is exactly who he said he was and that he is the Messiah. The reason I say that is because if you follow the news right now, you know that in Jerusalem there is a Messiah, a self-proclaimed Messiah that's walking around the streets of Jerusalem healing people, declaring that he is the one that they've been waiting for. 
And so I just want you to know, Jesus prophesied about that. He said, and many will come in my name. Many will come. There'll be false messiahs. There'll be false Christ. And don't believe any of them because we have the proof that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Now, with that in mind, I want to transition a bit and I want to talk about the second coming of Jesus. There were 456 identifiable markers of the first, first time Jesus came. Anybody guess how many markers there were this, for the second coming of Jesus? Just shout out a number. So here's the number. Here we go. 1,845 unmistakable signs of the second coming of Jesus. 1,845 signs to identify the second coming of Jesus Christ. And today... I want to just take one of those predictions and I want to talk to you about that prediction and it has a lot to do with what we're going to do in just a few minutes about partaking of communion. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took his disciples into an upper room. It was Passover time. And so the streets of Jerusalem were swelled with people. People would come from all over the Middle East to partake of the Passover. And so Jesus wanting it to be special for these disciples took them to an upper room to partake of this Passover and in the middle of partaking of Passover this is what Jesus did he took two elements of the Passover meal and he entered into a new covenant with his disciples a new covenant with his disciples and it was glorious that evening he predicted the betrayer he predicted what would happen to him he told them that you know exactly what was going to transpire and in this Passover meal he took unleavened bread which represents the sinless incarnation of Jesus and he took and he took wine took one of the cups of wine and he said this is my blood shed for you this represents the blood that I'm going to shed for you do this in remembrance of me and then he said something that in my mind blows me away. It just blows me away of what Jesus says next. He says, I'm going to do this one time with you. This is the last time you and I on this planet, at least in this context, will ever do this again. You won't ever do this again until you partake of this with me in my Father's kingdom. Now think about that. Jesus says to his disciples and therefore to the rest of us here today that one of these days Jesus is going to lead you and I in the Lord's table think about that Jesus I don't know how it's going to work I mean there's going to be millions of people in heaven maybe he's going to have small groups in heaven I suppose that maybe that might work and you, don't want, you want to be in a small group here and you want to be in a small group there. So, I mean, just a sh shameless plug. So I don't know how it's going to work, but here's what I do know is that you are going to get this. You are going, if you're a Christ follower, if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you've crossed that line of faith and you have evidence in your life that you are following Jesus, that he is the Savior of your life, he is your Redeemer, here's what I know for sure is going to happen. You're going to lock eyes with Jesus and you are going to partake of communion where he leads it and you're going to see him face to face. Can you imagine that day? 
I mean, that is going to be a glorious day. It, you know, wow. It doesn't get much better than that for you and I to sit down in, my, in our Father's kingdom and partake of this amazing thing called the Lord's table. And if that doesn't twist your head around, I don't know it will. I don't know it will. For you to know that one of these days, no matter what suffering you're going through, no matter what trials you're going through, no matter what hap is happening in your life currently right now, no matter what's going on in your life right now, there will be a day in your life where you lock eyes with Jesus and he will lead you in the elements that I'm going to lead you in in just a few minutes. I mean, that is worth shouting out to God for, isn't it? Come on now. Come on. Come on. To know to know that that's a reality that is a guarantee just like there's 1845 promises concerning his first coming that's in the midst of those and I know for sure <clears throat> that God is going to fulfill exactly what he said he was going to fulfill so today we're going to transition a bit and we're going to talk about communion we're going to do it early we're going to we're not waiting for Jesus today we're going to do it. He's here, by the way. Did you know that? Jesus is here. So he's going to do it with us, but it's just not in a visible sense. So we're going to take, we're going to take two elements. We're going to take unleavened bread, and we're going, to take, we're going to take a little cup of juice, and we're going to partake of that in just a few minutes. Before we get there, there's a couple things that, we need, that I need to tell you about. First of all, if today... You need to do some business with God. We're going to sing a song, and you need to do business right now with God because you don't want to partake of communion in an unworthy manner by harboring anger or resentment or bitterness of any form in your life, of maybe a secret sin. So what I'm going to suggest that you do right now, what I'm going to suggest that you do right now as we pass the elements, is that you take a moment of personal reflection and worship, and you say, God, is there anything in my life right now that I just need to confess? I just need to tell you about God. I just do admit to you. I need to agree with you that it's wrong. And if you'll do that, God is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and cleanse you from of all your unrighteousness, and you'll be free to partake of communion. But you don't want to shortcut that step. Look me in the eye. You do not want to shortcut that step. You want to make sure that today as we celebrate this amazing event, that you have done some business with God and you're prepared and ready to worship God because I want this to be an amazing experience for you. I want you to walk out of here today going, I met with Jesus. I met with Jesus and it was glorious. So would you do that for me? The second thing, not don't do it for me, do it for you. Second thing that I need to tell you is that the juice that we're gonna pass around, this is so good. The juice that we're gonna pass around comes from our vineyard up here on the hill. So, yeah, amen, yeah, yeah. I actually, with the staff, went up there and harvested that, that, those, the, those uh, grapes, and we crushed them, and I, I you know, did, no, I didn't do that. Somebody else did that. But it, as you're drinking of this juice, know that this came from Grace's property, and, and we did it for this very reason, so that we could do things like this in our weekend services. And you can know that uh, it's Grace, this is, this is the Frank family vineyard. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. So, Let's just take a moment right now. I want to pray over you. And I want you to spend just a moment in time uh, reflecting and preparing your heart for this spiritual, powerful, 
moment with God. Don't miss it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for exactly what your word says. And I pray, God, that you'll take my words today and use them for your glory and honor. And God, I pray that you would be lifted up and magnified. And I pray, Father, that in my life, if there's anything that would prohibit me from celebrating this communion service, talk to me, God. Talk to me. And talk to my friends here. And allow us to just be free by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' holy and powerful name, amen.